Well, welcome to another new week of broadcast here on the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and uh, you know, I love a good baseball story. Well, I hope you had a nice weekend, by the way. Um, many people had a chance to go out and catch a game or whatever. Um, you know, I have to admit, I haven't been following as closely as uh, as I typically do. About a week ago, uh, my son Jake played in his final uh, concert. That, it's weird. We've had we've had a Marsh family member playing in some orchestra at some level, uh, either undergraduate or graduate at Cal State Fullerton uh, since, let's see, Emily started there in the fall of 2008. So it's been a long time. Uh, with 15 years later, Jake played in his final concert there, and he's finishing his master's degree. He'll be walking and getting that on Thursday, and we're super excited for him. But we went to dinner afterwards at a restaurant, by the way, uh, here in Orange County, that it was Lisa and me and my sister and our daughter Ryan and Jake and his girlfriend. And we were sitting there at this restaurant, a place we've gone to many times before, and all of the portion sizes were dramatically smaller. The quality of the food had fallen dramatically as well, and all the prices were increased. And I thought, wow, is that a inflationary thing? Is that a COVID thing? Is that a change of ownership thing? I don't know, but we will not be going back to, I'll just use the initials BJ's, um, anytime soon. But as we were talking, my son looked at me, he goes, hey, dad, how do you feel about your angels being in second place? And I looked at him and realized I hadn't been paying attention to the standings. I didn't realize they were in second place. I've been following his Yankees who've been cellar dwellers for a while because of a lot of injuries. But I realized, gosh, I haven't been to a game yet this year and have to make amends. I definitely need to do that. But I'm very intrigued with how Major League Baseball, like other major sports, are handling the issue of transgenderism. And actually, this hour, we are designating, we're, we're putting our entire focus on a biblical worldview of transgenderism and what, it, what it's become. You know, it, it's amazing to see how many people have, have just kind of, you know, I was watching a clip the other day, John Stewart, the uh, late night talk show host guy. Uh, used to do The Daily Show on Comedy Central. Uh, he's known for having some good insights every now and again, but he made a really powerful strong, straw man argument in favor of transgender rights versus the, uh, you know, the, the moral majority type of thing. And he was getting on, I think it was Sarah Huckabee Sanders, who's the governor of Arkansas, and said, look, why are you going after one kid who wants, one transgender kid who wants to play soccer when your state is last in education and economics and blah, 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 blah. And the audience, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, wow, you know, usually... The straw man argument is we know that everyone's going to if we don't, you know, type of thing. You know, the big argument that people who are in the transgender community are all, uh, you know, one tick away from suicide if they don't get surgery, which unfortunately what they don't take into consideration is the number of people who do have the so-called reassignment surgery and are even more suicidal once they're done. I mean, the people are detransitioning in record numbers and the media is trying desperately to keep that stuff out of the picture. Which leads us to, I mean, today being May 22nd, June is officially LGBTQ plus Pride Month. The entire month, you're going to see LGBTQ Pride stuff everywhere. The uh, U.S. national soccer teams will all have rainbow numbers on their jerseys. And heck, go to a major, uh, the big box stores like Target. Um, they're keeping up Pride displays all year round. And the sports teams, too, we have shared with you about a couple of teams that tried to do kind of like the NHL, tried to do the pride inclusion thing during the season. And they created special sweaters, not for wearing during the game, but they go out and have a skate around beforehand. And um, they, that was 
good enough for the LGBTQ activists. And a number of players have said, hey, look, I'm not going to do it. I'm either not going to participate in the skate around beforehand or I'm just not going to wear the sweater. And it was amazing to me to see the number of teams that stood up in support of these players saying, hey, look, you know, we're all for inclusion, but doesn't inclusion work both ways? I mean, if somebody says, yes, we should be including people in the LGBTQ community, does that not also put us in a situation where we should be thinking about those people who don't condone that and say, I have the right to say, you do you, but let me be me. Which brings us locally to the Los Angeles Dodgers. I almost said the Los Angeles Dodgers of Anaheim. They're the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. One of the most iconic brands in all of sports, let alone Major League Baseball. And a team that has been at the forefront of, you know, including everyone. I remember working at KYMS here in town in the 1980s and getting to know some of the people with the Dodgers because they had a division that focused on the faith community. And this was 1988, 89. I mean, they were way ahead of their time. They had special events for the Asian American community and special events for uh, the Hispanic community, African American community, etc. And, and so we actually had some time. Uh, we, got t- we got time with Tommy Lasorda. Uh, one of our DJs got to go up on the, on the field, and they had a faith and family night, and it was just it was pretty remarkable. The Dodgers have been going you know, all out for the special interest groups for years. But this year they may have gone a bit too far. Um, a number of Catholic groups and even a U.S. senator have complained that when the Dodgers hold their LGBTQ plus pride night in June, by the way, it's the team's annual event, that one of the groups that was there who had been invited has now been uninvited. A group that called them, I'm not even going to, I'll put the article up, Tamara will put it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I'm not even going to mention the name of the group. They don't deserve the publicity. But um, June 16th, Pride Night, this group was scheduled to receive a Community Hero Award honoring, quote, from the Dodgers now, honoring their efforts to promote human rights, diversity, and, quote, unquote, spiritual enlightenment. The group itself calls themselves a leading-edge order of queer and trans nuns. Yeah, that's the deal. This is a group who basically mock the Catholic Church at every turn. Their members are men who dress as these kind of garish women, and in addition to all the drag type of makeup that they typically wear, uh, they also dress as nuns. And because they have that opinion, the Catholic Church, Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and others um, have spoken out. The Catholic League, very, very critical of what's going on here. Um, This is a group that actually got its start many, many years ago on Easter Sunday of all days. And every Easter, they hold an event mocking Jesus and his mother Mary. Now, when the Dodgers originally announced that they were going to honor this group on, as a pride community hero, quote-unquote, uh, Bill Donahue, who's the president of the Catholic League, basically spoke to the Dodgers, and he wrote on the organization's website, he said, look, the Catholic League has been leading, a leading critic of this bigoted organization for many decades. Just last month, they held that event mocking our Blessed Mother and Jesus on Easter Sunday. How can you do this? Why are you rewarding anti-Catholicism by honoring this group. Uh, Bill Donahue then wrote to uh, Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, wanted to protest the decision. Marco Rubio, 
a very devout Catholic, also sent a complaint to Mr. Manfred, who said, this group mocks Christians through diabolical parodies of our faith. The organization Catholic Vote condemned the move. Their president, Brian Birch, issued a statement last week and said that the team needs to do something to stand up in the face of this bigotry. And so, last Wednesday, the teams decided that they would no longer invite this group and give them an award. Now, the team's decision to disinvite the group uh, is now getting criticism. L.A. County Supervisor Lindsey Horvath wrote on Twitter, quote, if they're not invited, I'm not going. Celebrating pride is about inclusion. Do better. To which I would respond, do better? If this is a group that promotes conclusion and diversity and this, that, and the other thing, and acceptance and tolerance, then how do you let them get a pass by mocking the Virgin Mary? How do you give them a pass by mocking Jesus on Easter? But that's okay. Uh, Assemblyman Rick Chavez-Zabor of Santa Monica is a longtime civil rights advocate for the LGBTQ community. I say civil rights in quotes. Uh, said, I'm deeply saddened by the hate and ignorance perpetuated by leaders of other states for cheap political points. And I'm truly disappointed that our beloved L.A. Dodgers have given into their manufactured outrage. Um, again, Mr. Assemblyman, I would refer you back to the organization's website and look at the dealings that they've had with the faith community and ask the question, who is the one who is perpetuating ignorance and hate who is the one is perpetuating cheap stereotypes for political points uh this is one of those cases where it's a no-win situation for the dodgers if they don't do a pride night now all 30 major league teams do it there's a 36 or 32 and and it's kind of expected now the yankees and the angels were actually the last two holdouts and again if you don't want to celebrate lgbtq pride I hope that you're not celebrating a birthday or anniversary on June 16th and wanted to go to a Dodger game because that's what you're going to get. But in the same way that if they want to have a faith and family night, which most of these teams also do, or a faith and family day, I would say if you're offended by our faith, then don't go. I mean, Christians will probably not be going, though. It would be an interesting decision to see how many of people of faith would actually go to a game like this in hopes of witnessing. But I have to say, good on the Dodgers for canceling this invitation, but you may want to rethink that pride thing. As a matter of fact, you may want to rethink the concept of is there such a thing as transgender or not? Um, as we continue, a special guest is going to join me about a, to talk about a brand new Bible study and a special resource. David Clausen is director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council. He's also executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. He's part of a team that's put together a new study called Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. We've got a link for this Bible study book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And since today's Movie Monday, also special information about a movie that is attached to this Bible study. Oh, yeah, and how you can get one for free. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. One of the biggest issues that's hit the culture over the past five years is the issue of gender and sexuality and, and people having gender confusion. We've moved from gender dysphoria to, oh my goodness, what, how do we define male and female in the culture right now? Wouldn't it be great if there were a resource or some kind of study that we could engage in as Christians that could uh, help us kind of set the tone for doing a better job of presenting a biblical worldview toward gender and sexuality without alienating people who are questioning 
that very issue. Well, joining me today here on the program is soon to be Dr. David Claussen, who currently serves as director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council. Uh, he's a researcher on life and human sexuality and religious liberty. He's also currently working on completing his PhD in Christian ethics at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, he's graduate there with his uh, master's in theology and divinity, and also the University of Central Florida as well, and where he's a, and he's a member of Capitol Hills Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. Part of the team that put together this brand new book called Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. And the link is up at thebottomlineshow.com. David Clausen, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Well, greetings from our nation's capital. It's a joy to be on the program, Roger. Thanks so much for having me. How are things in D.C.? I mean, as a Christian man living in the District of Columbia, what's it like these days? You know, a lot of people talk about the swamp and how it's just a you know real godless place. And sure, there's a lot of godlessness that takes place here. Uh, but there's actually a very vibrant Christian community. So you just mentioned where I attend church and where I'm a member of Capitol Hill Baptist Church. It's a congregation of about 700 uh, that meets just a couple blocks behind the U.S. Supreme Court. It's a conser- theologically conservative Southern Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. And uh, the you know my fellow members work in government. They work in nonprofits. And uh, so, you know, the Lord tells us in Romans 11, he al- the Lord always has a remnant, and I found that to be true here in the Capitol. I love it. Well, David, part of the reason I'm glad to hear you say that is because this book that you are co-authoring, uh, have co-authored along with Denny Burke and Colin Smothers on, uh, called Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage, uh, really dives in head first or feet first or gets into the weeds or whatever euphemism applies here with regard to... The number of people who are finally saying, look, this issue of homosexuality, transgenderism, what does, quote unquote, same sex marriage look like in God's economy, uh, helping us to understand why people are turning to these lifestyle expressions and then how we as Christians can uh, embrace, not embrace and condone, not embrace and condemn either, though, just to try to understand and to speak biblically into these uh, these situations. It's it seems like a real challenge. It seems like on the one hand, it'd be really straightforward. Scripture's very clear. All we have to do is present it. But you've taken an approach that says we want to be more gracious. We want to be a bit more loving. Talk about how you put this eight-week study together. Yeah, well, thank you for the question, Roger. And it it is, you know, an eight-week study. And there's a lot of good books out there on these different issues, transgenderism, homosexuality, intersex. Uh, But my colleague or my co-authors and I realized that there really wasn't something that a small group or a Bible study or a discipleship group uh, could go through uh, that really looks deeply uh, at these issues, whether it's marriage or homosexuality or uh, intersex, transgenderism. And so that's kind of what we try to do with this study. There's actually videos that go along with it that people can access online. And what you just said is important. We do take a perspective where we take the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, really seriously. Uh, Paul says that we're to speak the truth in love, and you're right. There's a clear, thus saith the Lord, on what God's perspective on marriage is and the uh, homosexuality and things like that. But uh, we also want to be gracious and kind, and we don't want to compromise the truth, but we also don't want to be mean when we talk about these issues. And so we try to chart a path uh, that's very clear in our biblical exegesis, our biblical application, uh, but just really coming alongside Christians um, who are dealing with these issues in their local context, in their local ministry, in their family, 
um, because we, we realize that, that we think that, that there's a need right now in, in ministries across the country and families across the country in actually talking about these theological issues in a real practical, concrete way. You know, it's interesting you talk about the needs in families, uh, David Clausen, and I think one of the things that has really been an eye-opener to me in working with guys like George Barna, who's been uh, tracking this type of information for the past decade with the Cultural Research uh, Center at Arizona Christian, the uh, Worldview Inventory, the number of people in Generation Z, the number of people millennial, but especially the Gen Zs, the 12 to 25s, that identify as transgender. And it's not that they're going out and having surgery, per se. They're not necessarily even trying to live as a member of the opposite sex, but they're identifying with friends of theirs who do. There's a lot more of that societal rub, if you will, that's moving them in that direction. And there was a time, I mean, I'm in my 60s. I remember growing up in God and Country America, born in 1961, where, you know, the Bible was the standard and we went to church and on Sunday, nobody even thought about this was this was too shameful to even discuss whether it's homosexuality or transgenderism. But now a lot of people are just saying, well, it's in the Bible and you should just know. And we're talking to people who really don't. I mean, nearly 20% of the younger adult population says, I don't know what you're talking about. What? How did that inform you and Denny and Colin as you were putting the study together to say, we want to be biblically accurate, but we also want to be culturally sensitive? Yeah, such a good question, and I think uh, we actually work with George Barna here at the Family Research Council. And, uh, when we actually launched the Center for Biblical Worldview, we partnered with George um, to do a, a survey on biblical worldview, and you mentioned his his worldview inventory, which is basically 54 questions that deals with behaviors and beliefs, and to be considered someone with a biblical worldview, you have to score 80% or higher on beliefs and practices. And what he found out when he took that poll into evangelical churches around the country is that although 81% of those who regularly attend church believe they have a biblical worldview, when you actually measure it, it's only 21%. And so, again, this resource that we've developed is, is geared towards the church. We are from the church speaking to the church. But when you realize only one in, out of every five people in the pews and the chairs around you actually are thinking holistically, biblically— then you do have to explain some things that maybe we could have taken for granted in previous generations. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, when it comes to the marriage issue, when it comes to the Bible's perspective on homosexuality, we walk through those passages very carefully. Uh, we don't take it for granted that people understand what God's view on marriage is. And so we walk carefully through Genesis 1 and 2. We show that whenever Paul and Jesus were asked about marriage in their day, they actually took their hearers directly back to Genesis 1 and 2. When it talks about homosexuality, we give a real careful uh, discussion about Romans 1 and Genesis 19 and 1 Corinthians 6, 9, 1 Timothy 1, 10, uh, verses that really talk about homosexuality and, and common misconceptions about, uh, well, the Bible really doesn't address these issues the way we would in a 21st century context. And I hope we, again, it's with graciousness and kindness, but we do actually explain what the text of Scripture in context means. And uh, again, we, we produced videos that go along with it, which, by the way, can be accessed for free. Now, if people are interested in this curriculum, you can go to hecreatedthem.org. And actually, there's a link for the videos that accompany each lesson. And uh, Dr. Moeller provides uh, one of those, Al Moeller, president of Southern mm-hmm. Seminary, 
uh, just talking about this as well. So again, we, we're trying to provide several resources through this book and through the videos uh, that can help a congregation walk through these issues uh, carefully and uh, faithfully. You know, as we're talking with uh, David Clausen today here on The Bottom Line, one of the three co-authors of this outstanding new Bible study series, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We've got about 90 seconds to our break, but you used the term, I used it a couple times, I would love for you to kind of take a step back and identify for us, if you will, the concept of uh, someone identifying as intersex or what that means in the culture. I, there, there may be a bit of confusion with regarding that term, if you would clear that up for us. In 90 seconds, David, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So we actually spend a whole lesson on intersex, and if I was just going to define it really briefly, uh, intersex is what we would call a disorder of sexual development. It's, it's very rare, um, but there's, it, it applies to some conditions where someone's physical sexual development can go off course. And uh, so some people will use uh, this uh, disorder that happens as a defeater for the idea that there's male and female. Um, and so we argue that that exception does not violate the norm, though, and uh, that we can think about even this condition through the lens of Scripture. I'm so glad you brought that up, because that is one of the key things that we see over and over again in this conversation, is we, on the one hand, Christians who are just saying, well, the Bible tells me so, so you should just deal with it, not realizing that the culture is influencing people. But at the same time, the culture is taking a term like intersex and then trying to apply it with a broad stroke to so many different mm -hmm. life applications that they are misinformed as well. And I'm grateful that you are addressing these issues in this eight-week study. Uh, David Clausen with me today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com in addition to that free video resource that goes along with it. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to this Movie Monday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and trust me, uh, there is not a movie per se that goes along with today's giveaway. But man, if you enjoyed the first half of this conversation with Dr. David Clausen, or soon to be Dr. David Clausen, then you have tuned to the right place because today here on the Bottom Line Show, we have not one, not two, but three copies of this outstanding book to give away. The book is called Male and Female, He Created Them. It's a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. It's an eight-week study that is authored by Denny Burke and David Clausen, our guest today, and also Colin Smothers. And it presents a biblical vision for, you know, what does the Bible say about homosexuality and transgender and 
uh, marriage? Is it only between a man and a woman, or can it be in with two men or two women or whatever? Um, when you read through what Scripture has to say and these Bible studies are put together, you're going to have a much clearer picture, number one, but also you're going to have a much better conversation point to have with people who might be in the LGBTQ community in your world, or maybe you've got a friend, a family member, you might have a son, daughter, grandson, granddaughter who identifies with this community, and you're looking for a better way to have a conversation with them about this, where you can be biblical but loving at the same time, 1 Peter 3.15, do so with gentleness and respect. This is the resource. We've got three copies of the book to give away, male and female, he created them, uh, study on gender, sexuality, and marriage, 800-227-5278. See, you were listening at the beginning of the show. You get to call in first. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, today is Movie Monday here on the Bottom Line Show, and the movie part of our giveaway is absolutely free. The folks at the Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood and the Family Research Council have put together companion videos that go with each of the studies. Now, I'm assuming, <laughs> I haven't seen the videos yet, but I've seen the book, that they're a complement to each other. So you could conceivably just watch the videos and get a lot out of them. But having the book is cru it's critical, it's crucial. And so if you want to get the movie for free, just go to thebottomlineshow.com and we have it linked up there. But if you want to win one of the copies of the book, and these are in short supply, let me tell you, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. This is the issue. Who to thunk even five years ago? We would ha be having so much conversation about it, but it's good that we are, because quite frankly, if this is where the culture is, I mean, if you and I were going into the mission world, and we were going to a different country that didn't have friends who were missionaries in Papua New Guinea for years. And the first several years they were there, all they really did was meet with the natives who did not have a written language and learn how to speak the way they spoke, learn what their customs were, learn how to write it down, and then they began teaching them about the gospel. So in the transgender-confused world, we need to be ready to be missionaries as opposed to truth-tellers and answer-bearers. So... More of this conversation on this brand new book in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Special conversation today here on The Bottom Line involving the issue of transgenderism, sexuality in the culture, and how we and the body of Christ can give a Christian biblical response to it. David Clausen is with me today. He's part of a team of three guys who are the co-authors of this brand new book uh, called Male and Female, He Created Them. It takes a look at... Uh, gender and sexuality and marriage. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. David is the director of the Center for Biblical Worldview at the Family Research Council and the executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, before the break, we were talking about, and I was teasing you during the break about the fact that I gave you 90 seconds to explain what it means for a person to be intersex, but I didn't want to run past that because the transgender conversation has crept up seemingly out of nowhere. I think a lot of people didn't really give it a whole lot of thought, maybe as far back as 2012, 2013, when there was an issue with bathrooms and schools and things like that. And I know even here in a place that's super liberal like California, the number of school districts that were tracking uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender students, there were, I mean, there's six point, there were 6.2 million students at public schools at the time. And there was only one school district in the entire state that even bothered to ask 
if students identified as transgender or whatever. They just kind of took it on a case by case basis. The issue of intersexuality, as you mentioned before, before the break, has kind of become a launching point for people to say, well, since there are intersex people in the world, then therefore transgenderism is a lot more common. Do a deeper dive, if you would, David, uh, on, on what you guys tackle in the Bible study series, Male and Female, he created them, with regard to intersexuality. Yeah, and I think it's it's so important in these conversations to define terms. And really, again, intersex is just kind of an umbrella term that refers to people who have experienced a physical disorder of sexual development. Um, so there's no one single disorder that's kind of you can identify as intersex. Again, it's more of an umbrella term that really refers to the different ways that a person's physical sexual development can go off course. Um, but what it what it you know when you boil it down. It's when someone's genital anatomy, really, is ambiguous, and it doesn't clearly reveal whether someone is male or female. And so a lot of people say, well, the Bible has, says nothing about this. And it's true. The term intersex does not appear in the Bible. And the phrase disorder of sexual development doesn't appear in the Bible. But there is evidence, and we argue this, that Jesus and the biblical writers did know about those who were born with conditions that we would now refer to as intersex. Mm -hmm. We point to Matthew 19, uh, verses 11 through 12, and it says this, um, and this is Jesus teaching. He says, Not everyone can receive the same, but only to those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this uh, receive it. Well, who is Jesus talking about? Eunuchs who have, we're familiar with eunuchs, uh, you know, people who, you know, men who were serving in the king's court that would have been castrated so they didn't have, you know, wouldn't violate women in the court. But that, that phrase, eunuchs who have been so from birth, and, and it's likely there that Jesus has in view some of these uh, precious people whose uh, sexual development has gone off course. And, and so I think, you know, we need to realize this is, a result of a Genesis 3 fallen world, mm-hmm. um, but even Jesus, who recognizes this, still affirms the gender binary. And when he's asked in Matthew 19 uh, a question on divorce from the Pharisees, he goes back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and he says, uh, this is how God originally created marriage, male and female, and he quotes the verse. Right. And so again, intersex shouldn't be used as a defeater for to, to say, oh, there really is a spectrum of gender. No, there's, there's a binary, male and female. That's God's intention. That's God's design. But in a fallen world, some things go off course, including our sexual development. And again, we, we do a much deeper dive in the, the lesson that refers to that. But I think that I uh, appreciate the opportunity, Roger, just to do a little bit of a deeper dive, because it is important, and those arguments are going to increasingly be heard um, from those who are not operating out of a biblical worldview. Right. And we in the body of Christ need to be prepared to give an answer uh, with gentleness and respect, First Peter 3.15, for our faith, but also for the questions that are going to come our way. I know that here in the People's Republic of California back in 2008, <laughs> when there was a constitutional amendment proposed the second time uh, to define marriage as between a man and a woman, Prop 22 in 2000, Prop, 2000, uh, Prop 8 in 2008. And it was amazing to me because that's the point that I realized 
You know, this is something that it's written on our hearts. It's written in God's word. If you are a Bible-believing Christian who's been baptized by the blood of the Lamb and in the power of the Holy Spirit, this really becomes second nature for us as part of our sanctification process. But as more and more people have moved from the why are you acting this way to why aren't you acting or why shouldn't we be able to, it really does put the onus on us then to give an answer for things like what we're talking about and this whole concept of sexual sin and the gospel and people who are saying, I'm, I'm transgender, I'm intersex, but I'm also a Christian. I, I, I'm also in the ministry, for crying out loud. Mm -hmm. uh, David, talk about how your Bible study, male and female, he created them, helps us to address just sexual sin and the gospel message. Absolutely. And so, you know, the, these issues we recognize are in the news constantly. Uh, first and foremost, we would argue they're not political issues, they're theological and biblical issues, but we're not naive. Uh, th these are issues that have become political issues, and uh, you know, they're, they're deep, they're, they're, uh, they're dividing families. And so we do want to end the, 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 the eight-week course with a whole lesson on, that we title Sexual Sin and the Gospel, um, and we make the point, um, and I think it's so important to, to, to land a discussion on such sensitive issues is that the gospel, uh, which is the good news, the word gospel literally means good news, the good news that sinful people can be reconciled to a holy God through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel can cover any single sin that anybody can commit, whether that's sexual sin or any other type of sin. What, what's so profound to me is in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, Paul lists a whole bunch of sins that will keep people out of the kingdom of God. Uh, and in those sins, he lists homosexuality. But you know what he says, and I'm sure many of your listeners know this, the, these verses. He, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he says, And such were some of you, but mm. you've been washed, you've been sanctified in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what this precious truth of the Christian message is, is that there's no sin that will make you too far gone. Uh, and I think there is a lot of stigma attached to sexual sin, and in one sense, rightfully so. We know that marriage is ultimately a reflection of the relationship Christ has with his church. And so when there's sins related to sexuality, it, it tells a distorted picture of the way God relates to his people. So they are very serious. But I think in some Christian circles, sexual sin is almost seen as uh, a sin that can't, you can't come back from. And, uh, and we argue that no, that the gospel can reach any and everyone, and it can cover in any and every sin. And so, again, we just ask people in week eight of our curriculum just to sit in the gospel, to consider the implications of the gospel, the applications of the gospel. And uh, we do ask people to, you know, repent and turn from any sin that you might find yourself in that you're actively committing that's keeping you from that relationship that the Lord wants to have with you. David Clausen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Uh, he, along with uh, two other of his colleagues, uh, have put together a fantastic book called Male and Female. He created them. It's an eight-week study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, these are uh, David, of course, serving as the director for the Center for Biblical Worldview at Family Research Council and executive director of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, David, give us the particulars once again. There's this eight-week Bible study. There's also a video that goes along with it, a website. Let us know as we wrap up our conversation here, what, what are the best ways to access these? Yeah, absolutely. You can find the, the study at hecreatedthem.org. Again, that's hecreatedthem.org. 
Uh, you can, there's several links to order the book, whether it's Amazon, Barnes & Noble, through our publisher. Um, you can access the videos, and you can actually, anyone, even if you don't buy the book, can access the videos if they want to get a taste of how we're approaching these issues. Uh, but hecreatedthem.org, and again, we would encourage a uh, Christian father to get a copy of this for his family, a small group leader, a Sunday school group leader, maybe a pastor who's going to do a study with his elders on these issues. Uh, we think that this could benefit uh, a Christian school could use this in a for a specific study on these issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think there's lots of uses, and we pray that it really does serve people well. You know, and I'm grateful that you mentioned all those different opportunities, David. I wanted to throw one more in the mix. Um, <clears throat> for those of our listeners who are in their senior years, who have younger people, you know, you've got grandchildren or maybe great-grandchildren who are wrestling with these issues, and our tendency is to look at them and just kind of tilt our head and go, Ah, you kids are crazy. You know, I mean, this, I don't know what, this is some kind of fad that they're going through. I I can't stress enough. And David, I want to give you the last word on this. Can't stress enough how important this issue is to the next generation coming up. And there are people even inside the church who are saying, well, why can't you be transgender and a pastor? Or why can't you be this way? David, talk about why it's so important for us in our sixties and seventies and eighties to get this. I can't think of a better way to describe it, but to really understand what you guys are, are coming at here. Yeah, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for correcting, and for rebuke, that the man of God uh, may be equipped for all good works. Uh, As Christians, our first and foremost authority is God's Word. You know, there's a lot of issues we could debate that maybe the Scripture does not address, um, and so therefore we need to have grace with one another, and we can live with different opinions. On issues related to marriage, sexuality, and gender, the things we've just been discussing, Roger, uh, there's a thus saith the Lord. Uh, Mm -hmm. God has an opinion on these issues, and if God has an opinion on these issues, we need to know what that opinion is, we need to embrace that opinion, and we need to teach it to the next generation. Um, Because to be a faithful Christian means to be uh, putting put yourself under the authority of everything the Scripture teaches. And again, there's a clear word on some of these issues, Um, and that to be truly faithful. Uh, means believing, accepting, and then uh, teaching uh, these things uh, to the next generation. Well, David Clausen, you guys have put together a fantastic resource, and I'm so grateful that you were able to give us some time today to kind of explain this. And I realize that uh, you're a PhD candidate, but may I just thank Dr. David Clausen uh, for joining us today here on the Bottom Line Show to talk about this new Bible study. I know, I know, you probably won't get that title officially until the end of the year, but uh, I, I just wanted to jump the gun on your behalf because uh, uh, Proverbs tells me I should do that. So I'm doing that here. Male and female, he created them a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. David Clausen has been our guest to talk about it today here on The Bottom Line. David, thanks for the work and thanks for your time today here on the program. Thank you so much, Roger. God bless. Well, what a powerful conversation today here on a very important topic. My thanks again to Dr. soon-to-be Dr. David Clausen. The book Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have not one, not two, but three copies of the book that we're giving away today here at 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. But since today is Movie Monday, I should also point out, I would be remiss if I did not, that the movie part of this component is a a video that goes along with the, you get the book, and then there's an eight-week Bible study, and then there are videos for each of the Bible studies. Now, the book really gets down and dirty in some really great 
uh, it's not dirty, but you know, it really gets into the, some of the nuts and bolts of the issue of gender and sexuality in marriage. But they've also done a companion video series that goes along with it, and you can watch the videos for free. That's the Movie Monday part of this giveaway. So go to thebottomlineshow.com and click the link for the free videos that go along with this book. But you'll want to have the book. Oh my goodness, you, this is an excellent book. Male and female, he created them a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. 800-227-5278-800-227-5278-800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line on the other side of this break a seventh grader at a public school in massachusetts was sent home because they had the audacity to wear a shirt that said there are only two genders why is the alliance defending freedom taking up his case find out next as the bottom line continues don't believe your insurance company is looking out for you they're not they want you to call them after you're in an accident, but you shouldn't handle that alone. That's where Stephanie Cover of Cover Law shines. With 20 years of insurance industry experience, she knows all the angles and will fight for your rights. Insurance companies pretend to be your partner, but in reality, their primary goal is to pay you as little as possible. When you work with Cover Law, Stephanie becomes your negotiator, and the insurance companies must talk to her, not you. You need to rest and heal. Stephanie is different from other attorneys. She's fully invested in your legal, medical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs. After an accident, you don't want to deal with insurance adjusters who want to minimize your payout. So don't wait. Contact Cape Wright's personal injury attorney today at capewrightradio.com slash coverlaw. You won't pay a dime to talk to someone who truly cares about your healing. My thanks again to David Clausen, the executive director of the Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, and also a member of the Family Research Council as well. That uh, great conversation and this fantastic new Bible study, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com as well as their website. And the, we're giving away three copies of the book today, and these are really hard to get. Uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And I should also point out, at their website, which is linked at thebottomlineshow.com, there's a video that goes along with each Bible study section. There are eight sections total. And the video's free. So if you just want to watch the video for free, you can go to their website and watch it for free. But the Bible study, the book, what's written is where the real money is on this uh, event. Because this is a conversation that's becoming more common. And it's amazing to me how many people with lots of initials and consonants and letters after their last names, meaning they've got a lot of academic degrees and titles, are, are completely missing the point. When Christians say that, hey, uh, Male and female is the, is the way to go. It's, it's binary or nothing. And the transgender ideology is really more of an invention of society and social construct. It's amazing, though, how many people who would like to think of themselves as being well-read and study the science, this, that, and the other thing, really haven't paid attention to what natural law is. Many people who believe in evolution and say, well, I think that, you know, there was a big bang and a bunch of primordial lose and this, that, and the other thing. And what we have now is, um, <laughs> what we have is, has just kind of been evolving over the course of years. My question is, if we've been around billions of years, I like using that Ken Ham phrase, because I don't believe 
that we have been around for billions of years. I, I've, I've, what I've seen from Stephen Meyer at Discovery Institute and others, and this is, again, this it, it, feel free to present me with alternative evidence if you so choose. Bottom line listeners are always very good to do that. Just write me at roger at thebottomlineshow.com. But when it comes to like gender ideology or you know homosexuality, transgenderism, that type of stuff, my question is if you're a Christian and you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, then you have to ask the question, and if he is okay with transgenderism, if he's okay with homosexuality, then why did he create male and female in the image of God in such a way that people with same-sex attraction cannot naturally reproduce? And some would argue, well, now, wait a minute. You know, I mean, uh, there are men and women, you know, in uh, heterosexual relationships. They can't naturally reproduce. I said, that's a whole different issue. If God choose, I mean, we've seen this in Scripture. If God says Hannah's womb is going to be barren until it's not, that's up to God. That's entirely on him. And her and her prayer life, and Tony Evans has a great sermon on it. I encourage you to find him at The Alternative, and, and you can watch that teaching. But there's a big difference between God made someone a certain way and universally there are people, you know, gender is non-binary. And it's amazing to me, the same thing with the transgender thing. If, if, if there's such a thing as quote-unquote gender fluidity, then why don't our genders quote-unquote change naturally? I mean, seriously, you want to talk about the gender confusion and the people who say we need gender quote-unquote affirming care for young people who are gender confused. How about, tell that to the five-year-old boy who hears that there's such a thing as gender fluidity and thinks that he might go to bed that night, fall asleep, wake up the next morning and be a girl. There's a big difference between Cher and Sonny. Remember Sonny and Cher, the singing duo, and they had a daughter, Chastity, who really wanted identified with being a male, and she has been very public in interviews saying, I used to go to bed at night praying to God that I'd wake up a girl or wake up a boy. I mean, I didn't want to be a girl. I didn't feel right in this body. There's a big difference between an act of will like that and a kid who says, I don't have any control over this. What if I'm in the wrong body? And so when you bring a measure of clarity to this conversation, guess what happens? People on the left freak out. And the reason they freak out is either because they're, well, A, they're mistaken, but B, they don't want to get sued. This is why I'm so grateful we have friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom. This is an organization that works tirelessly. Their affiliative uh, affiliation with different attorneys and legal teams goes up to, it's like 4,700 now. Matter of fact, there's a, a, a case involving a Sanctity of Life uh, issue that involves our friends at Life Legal Defense Foundation who are partnering with ADF on this. And Katie Short, I've got an update on that coming up later this week. But you may have heard of a seventh grade boy by the name of Liam Morrison. Seventh grader at Nichols Middle School in Middleborough, Massachusetts. Liam was uh, accosted by the principal of the school along with a school counselor who pulled him out of class one day and ordered him to either remove his shirt or go home. He was asked to remove his shirt and school because they didn't like the message on the shirt. And they said that they're, you know, if you don't remove the shirt, you can't come home. He wound up missing the rest of the day of classes that day. He left school. And now they were looking, I mean, to be fair, there's a photo of him up at thebottomlineshow.com wearing the shirt that was so offensive. It's a black T-shirt with white lettering on it. And he was wearing a white undershirt, long sleeve shirt underneath it, like a lot of seventh grade boys like to do. So I'm sure they thought, well, hey, here, here's this kid wearing this shirt and we think the shirt's offensive. And so if you just take off the outer shirt, you can wear the undershirt and you'll be fine. And he said, well, no, I don't need to. This is kind of like those kids in L.A. years ago 
who wore American flag t-shirts on Cinco de Mayo, and their teachers told them to either turn them inside out or take them off or go home and change because that would be offensive to Mexican students. Well, you want to know what was on his shirt? I'll tell you what was on his shirt, and then you can see it on the other side of this break. Well, I'll tell you right now. Literally, there were one, two, three, four, five words on this shirt that got this boy sent home from school for the rest of the day. You know what the five words are? There are only two genders. That's it. No death to America, no kill the president, no profanity, none of that stuff. There are only two genders. A seventh grader wore that T-shirt to school and was sent home and told he couldn't come back. Now, Alliance Defending Freedom are taking up the case, along with the Massachusetts Family Institute. A lawsuit was filed last week. We'll talk about uh, what is going on in that suit coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com. Hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, welcome back to today's edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Mentioned it's a movie Monday, and the movie Monday giveaway today actually isn't the movie. It's a brand new video and printed series uh, from the uh, Center for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, our guest today, David Clausen, is one of the three guys who put this together. It's an eight-week Bible study course called Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender and sexuality in marriage. There's a link for the books up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have three copies we're giving away today at 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Now, I mentioned the movie part of our giveaway today is the fact that there are videos that go with each study, and the videos of it are available for free at their website. So go to the link at thebottomlineshow.com, and you'll find the place to get the uh, videos but uh, the movie Monday part has a book giveaway today and this is a fascinating study male and female he created them a study on gender sexuality and marriage and we've been talking about uh, this case that ADF has been handling uh, involving the (laughs) this poor kid who just got he got suspended literally from school sent home from school for telling the truth about gender Liam Morrison, seventh grader at Nichols Middle School in Middlesboro, uh, Middleborough, Massachusetts, wore a black T-shirt, white letters outlined on the shirt that said there are only two genders. He was asked to cover them up. 
uh, he came back the following day and put there are and then wrote the word censored over only two then genders and that really got him in trouble with the brass so uh, now the alliance fending freedom adf is handling that case and will keep you posted on what's going on um, before we conclude today's edition of the bottom line show for this half hour it would be uh, uh, be remiss if i didn't mention the passing of noted pastor and theologian apologist evangelist timothy keller who lost his three-year battle with pancreatic cancer late Friday. Uh, he had gone into hospice uh, just a day or so before, and it kind of snuck up on all of us that he had, in fact, passed away um, on Friday. And I just wa- I wanted to mention here that we will be honoring uh, Timothy Keller in the final half hour of today's edition of the Bottom Line Show. And it's important, uh, especially for our KCBC audience who get to hear this uh, hour of the, or this half hour of the program live, we do carry the Bottom Line Show Extra at uh, 7 p.m. every weeknight here on KCBC. And then we also uh, feature a Bottom Line Rewind. And earlier this year, a man called Colin Hansen, who works with the Gospel Coalition, wrote a biography of Timothy Keller. Um, and it's a, it's a powerful book that we had a, a great uh, success with people uh, you know, who were reaching out and saying this is a fantastic book. Colin Hansen's book is called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. There's a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. As you can imagine, it's flying off the shelves today because people are wanting to find out who is this guy that even the New York Times likes. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a great story. On the other side of this break, we're going to revisit my conversation with Colin Hansen from earlier this year, talking about the book about Timothy Keller. And we also have a copy of the book to give away. Now, if you're listening on KCBC, well, the, you're going to hear the entire interview tonight at 7 p.m., 7 to 7.30 on Bottom Line, Show, uh, Bottom Line Extra. And then tomorrow at 10.30 in the morning, it'll be the Bottom Line Rewind right before uh, Timothy Keller's radio program, which airs on KCBC every weekday morning at 11 o'clock, Gospel in Life. And so... We thought that would be fitting uh, to hear that conversation. So a couple of KCBC programming notes for you here as we wrap up this half hour of the Bottom Line Show. Now you've got science, uh, excuse me, you've got to, that's twice. You've got uh, Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next if you're a KCBC listener. For those who remain on the network, my conversation with Colin Hansen about Timothy Keller and his life and legacy. And also you have an opportunity, you will have an opportunity to win a copy of the book that uh, Colin wrote about Timothy Keller. That's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, welcome to a special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, a retrospective, if you will, uh, regarding the life of Timothy Keller, the uh, pastor, founding pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, uh, served there for over 30 years, uh, part of the Presbyterian Church of America. In 2000, Timothy Keller was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And um, just this past year, uh, Colin Hansen of the Gospel Coalition was charged with the responsibility of writing a retrospective about Timothy Keller. The book that came out earlier this year called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual Intellectual Formation uh, came out in February, and it's a massive bestseller right now on Amazon. Today here on The Bottom Line, for the final half hour of the program, or if you're listening to KCBC or The Bottom Line Rewind, this is it's Tuesday morning for you, I uh, wanted to revisit my conversation with Colin Hansen. Uh, that that we aired earlier this year here on the program, but also let you know that you have a chance. We have one copy of this book to give away. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line for Colin Hansen's book on Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And now an encore presentation of my conversation with author Colin Hansen, remembering the late Timothy Keller today here on The Bottom Line. One of the most prolific pastors and authors of our generation is a man by the name of Timothy Keller. Millions have read his books, they've listened to his sermons, but when you think about this guy who's become so seminal in the lives of so many different people, what are the events, What are who are the people, uh, what, what's happened in his own life that's actually shaped his own thinking and spiritual growth, especially now that the, uh, uh, the sands of time appear to be moving against him, moving into final seasons of his life. Uh, Colin Hansen is Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition. He's the host of the Gospel Bound podcast and has written and edited many books. Uh, his latest work is one about Timothy Keller. It's called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Colin Hansen, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Oh, I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Tell us about your relationship with Timothy Keller, because I know this Tim's a, it's a familiar name to a lot of Bottom Line Show listeners, but for others, they might be saying, now, who is this guy? I don't hear his radio program <laughs> on our station, so I'm not familiar yeah. with him. Kind of give us a general overview of his ministry and then how you connect with it. Sure. So Tim Keller founded Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City back in 1989. And that's probably how most people would know of him in terms of his institutional affiliation. He also co-founded a ministry called Redeemer City to City. They start new churches around the world. He also co-founded the Gospel Coalition. So that's how I got to, got to know him. And Gospel Coalition publishes around the world and with uh, tens of millions of, of readers scattered all over the place. And so I got to know him in that context. I had been the uh, news editor of Christianity Today magazine, and I was covering the first event, public event of this new ministry called the Gospel Coalition in 2007. Interestingly, when TGC started, our president, Don Carson, said, you know, not many people know who this Tim Keller is. Well, that did change quite a bit in 2008. He published his first two best-selling books, The Prodigal God, as well as The Reason for God. So a lot of people will know him as, a, as, a, as an apologist, as an evangelist. His sermons are, are really popular still today. He, re he retired from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in 2017. You alluded to his health. He's dealing with stage four pancreatic cancer right now. And that was really an impetus for the book. Um, after he got that diagnosis in May of 2020, I thought, well, I've been waiting a long time for somebody else to write a book along these lines. I'm going <laughs> to see if Tim wants to agree to do this, but somebody needs to do this when we can still talk with him, when we can still learn directly from him about his own life and especially about those people he learned from. Colin Hansen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Colin, you could have saved us a lot of time just by saying he's my boss. But I mean, I understand. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one, of, one of many. I'm a man under many authorities. There you go. One of them. That's that's great. But seriously, all joking aside, I mean, he's a wonderful man. He's had a tremendous influence on people. You mentioned Redeemer Presbyterian, and I know there are some of our listeners who might say, "Wait a minute, okay, is he?" I don't know how else to say this without going into my Glinda, you know, uh, voice. But is it a good Presbyterian or a bad? I mean, where is he? On the more more conservative, more on the liberal. Yeah. Where does he land? Where does Redeemer land? Where does Tim Keller? Yeah, so interestingly, when you think about Redeemer Presbyterian Church, 
you know, in New York City, Presbyterians and, uh, you know, were among the first people to ever found that city a long time ago. So there's actually a strong little bit of, of resonance there as well. He's on the conservative side of things. And so um, and so when he actually he started early on in his ministry in the Presbyterian Church in America, that kind of came out of especially the Southern Presbyterians. But when he was graduating seminary in the 1970s, it was a brand new denomination founded down here where I live in Birmingham, Alabama. And there was a, you know, lesser known uh, teacher, professor, speaker named R.C. Sproul, Mm. who said to Tim and his wife, Kathy Keller, as students, you really should join this PCA denomination. But the thing is, all their experience was in the north, in, in Pennsylvania, where they were from, and then Boston. There just weren't many PCA churches down there. So they started in Hopewell, Virginia, outside of Richmond, Petersburg area. And then eventually that's, then they went to Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. It's the school founded by Jay Gresham Machen, um, conservative Presbyterian, and then from there to New York City. So yeah, that's kind of that Presbyterian uh, lineage there, but he's always been a confessional, historic, evangelical uh, Presbyterian going back to his seminary days in the 70s. But it hasn't always been kind of a smooth sail for him. I mean, there are some things that he's said and done, books he's written, things like that, that have kind of uh, uh, piqued the interest and curiosity of a lot of different people. Is there anyone for you, Colin Anson, that stands out as that, oh boy, that was a lightning rod where he didn't mean to draw a line in the sand, <laughs> if I could mix my euphemisms here? Well, I think, you know, I think he really, I think he has drawn a line and like tried to draw a line in the sand. He He grew up in a context where, he felt as though many people who might go under the banner of fundamentalist or evangelical were teaching a message that was basically moralistic, do the right things, right. avoid the wrong sins, and you'll be okay. But then at the same time, he was learning from liberal professors at Bucknell, existentialist and Freudian professors, and he wasn't agreeing with them. What he really found as a breath of fresh air was the gospel itself, Jesus Christ, and what he learned through InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And the, and the people he learned from were Martin Lloyd-Jones, J.I. Packer, John Stott, C.S. Lewis, that kind of group. And so I would say he did draw a line in the sand by saying Christianity is not moralism, but it's also not liberalism. There are two different ways to go wrong. And I think this is why Maybe his most famous sermon is about the parable of the prodigal son. We often think about it that way, but Tim's famous message is showing that there are two sons in that parable. Both of them have gone wrong, and the primary message is about the older brother and his refusal to, to celebrate with his brother's return and his father's embrace. That was a charge against the Pharisees at the time. That was Jesus' target. And so I would say Tim has drawn a lot of lightning by being willing to say the message of gospel is one that is truly radical in its grace, it will often offend both conservative-leaning people and liberal-leaning people. Colin Hansen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, the Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition and the author of a brand new book about Timothy Keller. It's simply called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, as there's had to be something I'm sure you knew anecdotally or things that you'd seen or read, things you've even written about. But as you spent more time with Tim, were you able to uh, glean a few pieces of <laughs> few tidbits that you said, wow, I didn't yeah. know that. I mean, I kind of assumed. But what were the surprises? 
Yeah, I really did think that having known him and worked with him since 2007, that I knew basically what what needed to be known. I, you know, that was why I was in a position to write the book. But there sure. were many, many things that come to mind. I'll just mention one of them. Yeah. I'll leave a little bit to the um, imagination for the listeners here. But uh, Tim had one younger brother. He died in 1998 of, mm. of AIDS, mm. um, and he had been gay. And the um, he his brother younger brother converted in hospice, mm. and it was especially he just really struggled. Tim's younger brother Billy really struggled to understand grace. It just didn't make much sense to him for some of the reasons I just mentioned. He grew up in a really conservative environment. It just couldn't get out of his mind that doing the right thing is what's important in life. That that accepting grace as a gift from God was just very difficult to grasp. And so just being able to, to, to tell that story, to imagine the impact on Tim and what I discovered in the book, which I think is brand new to everyone, is the specific message that Tim preached at that younger brother's funeral. I'll let people read the book and they can check it out for themselves. But that was certainly the part that stood out to me. And when I was reading the audio book, when I was kind of running through that manuscript, that was the part that I really felt very emotional about and and I just thought wow this is um this must have been a really difficult situation for that family. I can only imagine what it's like to be in that situation having not preached in a situation like that but I remember help, uh, assisting officiating a uh, funeral service for a family where uh, an aunt had passed away and there was a couple from my church who was there but there was a kind of another church uh, that was also attached to the family and they wanted my buddy pastor Freddie to do the to do the eulogy and the and the message and Two of the young ladies who were there who had grown up in our church had transitioned. They were in the process of becoming oh, yeah. men. And it was interesting to yeah. see. I was just praying. I'm like, what's Freddie going to say? And I thought he did such a grace-filled, loving, wonderful message, being biblically, biblically accurate and correct, but also not being shamey and finger-pointing and that type of stuff. And I thought right. to myself, well, he must be hanging out with Tim Keller because we're reading <laughs> some of his stuff because that sounded exactly like what you just described about Tim Keller in his uh, uh, the service for his brother. Colin Hansen is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. 
Colin Hansen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. I almost said Timothy Keller was our guest, but I mean, we're talking about a book that Colin wrote about Timothy Keller. I kind of get the feeling like Tim is sitting right here with us, Colin. Uh, the book is called... Well, I'm, I'm sure the... I'm sure the listeners would prefer that. They just have yeah, to no, no, no. Well, but you're you're the storyteller. You're the one who's bringing the goods. Timothy Keller, his spiritual and intellectual formation is the book. It's just now out, and we've got the link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You mentioned something earlier, Colin, that I want to circle back around to because I get the sense, and I'm and I'm I hope I'm wrong, but maybe at the TGC you guys are seeing this too, and it's something we in the church have to address. That kind of siloed tribal you know, unilateral thinking that a lot of us have in a multicultural, lots of different ways coming at you society. I mean, here's Tim Keller with conservative biblical values in New York, you know, for crying out loud. I mean, you know, growing up in the East Coast and having that Northeastern perspective, he seems to do, my opinion, a better job of kind of being able to live in that world and be in the world, but not of it than just about any other leader that I've seen in the faith in my 60 years on the planet. Talk. That's. It doesn't seem like it's intentional for him. That's just the way he lives. Is that something that is a deliberate action on his part, or is that just kind of the way God wired him? I don't know. That's a really good. That's a good question. I don't know the best way to answer it. I. I, I just know that Tim's conversion as a sophomore in college was a transformative, immediate, dramatic, physical event for him, and it. It was. I mean, at the time, he was with this little InterVarsity Christian Fellowship movement, hanging out with maybe 10 other Christians on a very liberal college campus. But at the time, the Lord was just doing amazing things. This was really the height of the Jesus movement, that amazing revival. Mm-hmm. And by the next year at Bucknell, there were 100 students in InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. It increased tenfold in one year. And I think at some level, he's always had a boldness that has come from that kind of dramatic conversion. I mean, almost immediately, the students are out there striking. It's the Vietnam era protests. It's the Kent State shootings. And he's out there and he's evangelizing people like he's striking up conversations with people. It's interesting that somebody in a review of of, of my book at Christianity Today said that I didn't dwell much on his call to ministry. And I thought, well, that's a really good point, because I don't think Tim and I ever imagined that he would ever have done anything else. Mm-hmm. Like His conversion mm-hmm. was so dramatic, so immediate. He went straight into ministry. And there's always been this sense in which he is a very convicted Christian who's been powerfully transformed by the gospel, deeply con- convictional, but also deeply prayerful and spiritual. But he's always been in pretty contested environments. Um, now, Hopewell, Virginia was not the same as Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, or New York City, and yet always there's a sense in which Christ calls us to something to stand out from our society. And I think that's part of how the evangelical movement has stamped him, and it's something he's lived out wherever he's gone. Colin Hansen is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His new book is called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation, and we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. It's it's interesting that I don't know why. I mean, uh, time-wise, chronologically, I should have made sure that to place Timothy Keller in the Jesus movement, but for some reason, it's just now you know making sense. And he does really have this kind of Chuck Smith way about him, in that this yeah. is what God's calling us to do, not this is how I meet these people, shake these hands, get this influence, and build this platform. 
And yet God built this yeah. tremendous platform around his obedience. Talk about why I, mean, I, I don't want to think that Tim Keller is kind of the last of a mold of pastors like this, but something tells me he may be. Well, that was it was a remarkable moment, the 1970s, late 60s, early 70s. And, and I guess what's, what gives me so much hope, Roger, is that that was not an expected time for God to do a miraculous work. And I think a lot of us feel the same way today. We think, mm-hmm. boy, I, I don't know how you could do that today. I'm not sure who the younger pastors and leaders are who are in that mold actually something that Tim and I have been working on. It's something called the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics, where we're trying Mm. to identify and support those leaders who are pastors, who are professors, who are out there who are doing this kind of work for the next generation. But I guess what gives me hope is that as a a historian of revivals, one of my other books is on revival, revivals never come when people expect it. That's the whole point of revival. (laughs) I just think when I look back on 1970, I don't think Tim Keller was necessarily a likely convert. I don't think you could have seen there the rest of his life how it would unfold. He was never sort of the big man on campus. He was never the most likely to succeed. They weren't awarding him all kinds of things. And yet look what the Lord did. And I think when we look biblically, that's what we see. The Lord doesn't always use what we expect. He surprises us consistently and often from the margin. So that's what gives me hope of the next generation. We just can't know what the Lord is up to, but we know he's always faithful to his promises. He certainly is. Colin Hansen is with me today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Colin is the uh, Vice President of Content and Editor-in-Chief at the Gospel Coalition and is the host of the Gospel Bound podcast. The author of many books, his most recent is the one we're talking about today. It's called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Colin, if you had to pick a person or two people, and said, okay, if if Tim Keller doesn't meet these people, if he's not influenced by them, then nothing's going to happen in his life. I mean, who would who would those two people be, or those three people, maybe? That is a that is a wonderful question. That and it's fairly easy to answer. <laughs> okay. First of all, that has got to be Kathy Keller, Kathy mm-hmm. Kathy Christie. That's his wife. Um, when Tim wrote the reason for God, he said. Kathy is my number one influence, in part because she in, she introduced me to all of my other chief influences. Mm, mm. Kathy is such a remarkable character that at age 12 or 13, she was one of the last people to ever correspond with C.S. Lewis. Oh, my. I mean, that's just who she wow. was, who she <laughs> is. And so she went, I mean, they are a dynamic duo, and she's the one who helped introduce him to to Jonathan Edwards and to into his reformed theology and things mm-hmm. like that. So it's really Kathy. But then second, the, the other is somebody he actually met earlier. That's Ed Clowney. Ed Clowney was the first president of Westminster Theological Seminary. He was a, a, a famous pastor and church leader at all of those huge Urbana missions conferences for students. Mm, yeah. uh, he was speaking in front of tens of thousands. He was one of the most popular speakers he came to Bucknell and did an evangelistic talk while Tim was a student on existentialism, which was all the rage at the time, Albert Camus. And it turned out that Ed Clowney had been an, an expert in at Yale, studied at Yale in his graduate school on Soren Kierkegaard, a Christian existentialist. So he comes and he does this talk. And then right after that, he then leads a retreat for these university students about the local church. And those two things came together and made Tim Keller who he is. 
evangelistically engaged cultural analysis that's biblically faithful and a commitment to leadership in the local church. That's what he saw from Ed Clowney. And so many of his major themes came from Ed. If Tim doesn't meet those two people, he's a totally different person. You have a phrase, Colin, in your book that I'm going to borrow from you, if you don't mind, and I'll give you full attribution when I remember <laughs> to. And uh, That is describing Tim Keller as a guy who could disagree without being disagreeable. Yeah. Um, can you take the last minute of our time together here? I, I, I that that's on my heart so heavily right now in terms of we as Christians and we as American Christians, especially how sometimes we can get a little too tribal to the point where it's going to all the world and preach the gospel, unless you'd rather just stay back with your own and hang out and hope everybody else goes away. Uh, talk, talk about why Tim's yeah. uh, kind of a good standard for us to learn how to do that better. Well, I want I want to be I want to be encouraging here and also realistic. Tim has never said a crossword about another human being around me. Hmm. I, I, that's just, I've spent a lot of time with him. He's never said a crossword. That's admirable. But I also want to be realistic to people. The book talks of, you know, Tim's honest about some of his weaknesses in the book. Right. And one of his weaknesses is that he's a people pleaser and he doesn't like to get in the middle of conflict. And so I just hope that's that's realistic for people that there is so much so much room for us to grow in kindness, how we treat others. At the same time, sometimes our biggest strength is also our weakness. Sometimes you actually need to initiate conflict. Sometimes you actually have mm-hmm. to be bold to you know to confront somebody directly. And so then Tim hasn't always enjoyed doing that. So I don't want people to think that that Tim is some sort of out of reach of them. We have the same Savior, the same Spirit who's working to sanctify the rest of us, and we all have strengths, we all have weaknesses. I hope through this book people see some of that in Tim, and they'll be able to reflect on their own lives as well. Colin Hansen with the Gospel Coalition. The book is called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Colin, thanks for the conversation today and also for the book. Really appreciate your time here on The Bottom Line Show today. Oh, it's tons of fun, Roger. Thank you. And that's how we concluded my conversation with author Colin Hansen of the Gospel Coalition. We recorded this conversation earlier this year when the book on Timothy Keller had just come out. And with the news that, uh, if you hadn't heard uh, this past Friday, Timothy Keller's uh, battle with pancreatic cancer is now over. He has received his complete healing. He went home to be with the Lord at the age of 72 uh, back on Friday. And I uh, hope you enjoyed that conversation about his life Uh, The book, Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation, is up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we do have a copy that we're giving away this half hour, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, we have one copy of this this outstanding resource. Would love to put it in your hands today. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, some final thoughts about reflecting on the life and legacy of Timothy Keller and the one word that I always think of when I think of this man. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words. Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a 
gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine. Now, that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to Preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. My thanks again to Colin Hansen for writing the book on Timothy Keller and for giving me the opportunity to talk with him earlier this year about it. Uh, Colin's book is called Timothy Keller, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. And uh, today here on the Bottom Line Show, we're taking the final half hour of our broadcast uh, as a memorial dedication to Timothy Keller, who lost his battle with pancreatic cancer this past Friday. Uh, He was 72 years of age and just a truly remarkable guy. You know, I I mentioned we're giving away a copy of the book, by the way, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line. The one word that I think of when I think of Tim Keller is forgiveness. He wrote a book, that was the last book that he published under his name, I believe, about forgiveness, about how it's the essence of who we are as Christians. But, you know, people on both sides of the aisle, whether more progressive Christians or conservative, evangelical or mainline, even people outside the church are saying, wow, why can't there be more Christians like Timothy Keller? And here's the reason why. I mean, I know that's a rhetorical question, but the reason why is because Timothy Keller understands and understood that he is who he is because of the forgiveness of God, the fact that God so loved the world. Timothy Keller, like all the rest of us, are sinful fallen people born into the world, but that by believing, placing his faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sin, then we are forgiven of those sins. But then you live as forgiven people. And it's amazing how political differences aren't as important as, yes, but have you had your sins forgiven? Even when we look at the Lord healing people of their illnesses and infirmities, he would say, he healed them and forgave their sins, or he forgave their sins and then healed them. Forgiveness as the hallmark of the Christian existence changes the culture. It changes the world, and it shows how you have been changed from the inside out. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.